Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's episode 153, February 6, 2020. You're listening to Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Blake Garnsdorf. Happy, happy time to be here. Glad to be back on another, what did you say, Thursday? I wanted to call well, it Tuesday. Yeah, a wonderful Thursday. I mean, by the time that you're listening to this, it'll probably be Friday. That's okay. Happy Friday. I'm, I'm glad that we're dropping Thursday nights because that means people probably listening to it Friday morning, which means they're on their commutes. They're on the last commute of the week. Yeah. I mean, you have so much to look forward to. It's the weekend coming up here. Um, and you get to listen to some wonderful news stories coming up this week. We have uh, NASA finding real uses for AR and VR in us astronomy and engineering. We have color-changing bandages that are detecting and treating drug-resistant infections. Uh, Galileo's return link demonstration with a market-ready beacon. We'll find out what that means. And... A body-on-chip, human body-on-chip platform enabling in vitro prediction of drug behaviors in humans. Why are you laughing? It's, you know what, I don't even... Chip on body, body on chip. No, what I'm really laughing at is I know there's some words in some of the, in that article specifically that are going to trip me up in like 10 minutes. Blake, I have, I have zero, like, I'm not pretending. I know what you do is not easy when you go and read all these, like, it's not, it's not easy. I don't envy you. Learn to read. No, it's not good. But uh, we we get by anyway. We get by one way or another. Well, we we do. We'll be okay. All right. But first, hey, uh, we got some programming notes here. Um, I just want to kind of restate that we are uh, in the process of revamping our Patreon. Um, We are producing content for the next year, and if you are a current Patreon, we have given you a little sneak peek of what that might look like, or sound like, really, uh, on our Slack. So if you are a current Patreon, or if you want to find out what we're doing uh, ahead of time, uh, this is at the $1 level. I think you can jump in, you can get access to our exclusive Slack channel, where it's almost basically a direct line to me and Blake. Um... And uh, like I said earlier this year, we do have more exciting things potentially uh, coming up this year. Um, did I? Oh, have we teased them what the content in there is? No. Okay, we, we, you're gonna keep that a secret. We're keeping the Patreon content a secret until it goes live. <gasps> or are you talking about the uh, other efforts? No, I haven't. Not the other efforts. Yeah, we what haven't said anything about Patreon. the other efforts. Uh, gotcha. The Patreon content, we've only let our Patreons know, patron, patrons, we've only let them know what we're doing. So if you want to know what we're up to, you can go donate a buck and get in on our Slack channel. Um, to be clear, there's a Slack channel for everybody, and then there's the direct line to me and Blake, which you pay a dollar for. So, Which is basically like having our phone numbers. Basically like having our phone numbers. I think, uh, you know, Mateo's hitting me up at like 3 a.m. with these crazy news stories. And uh, <laughs> I love it. I love every minute of it. Um, I do want to bring up this, though. Uh, and Blake, maybe you can speak a little bit to this because you've actually been to one of these. But if you are in the Southern California area... Um, CSU Long Beach is going to be putting on a Human Factors conference where they have uh, 
faculty, students, and uh, keynote speakers, as well as an alumni panel. Um, it's kind of like a mini HFES from what I hear. Um, and that's going to be Saturday, March 21st from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, so if you're interested in that, please register. I hear one of the keynote speakers this year is going to give a, uh, a great talk about making human factors accessible. That's me. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the one of the keynotes this year. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Anyway, uh, Blake, you've been to one of these. What is it like? I, not only have I been to one, Nick, I'm the one that put on one because I was the HFES president, whatever year that was, for Cal State Long Beach because that's where I went to went to grad school. Um, went to the Human Factors program. A lot of great faculty uh, and the students always kind of put in a lot of work to put this conference together and it's not any kind of just small schlubby conference you would go to that a student group would put on like you actually end up you know rubbing shoulders with bigger people in human factors especially in the southern california area so that can range from everything to medical to people from nasa to people that work in ar and vr there's a wide range of people i mean you're they're even going to have uh, Sir Nicholas Rome come and speak about how he's made human factors very accessible. No, I'm not going to talk about how I'm doing it. I'm talking. I'm going to talk to everybody how they can do it too. That's not hard. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so yeah, no, it's a really good time. And I mean, the students they put a, they put a lot of effort into it, and it's it's just a great place to you know network, meet people, find out more about human factors in general. If you're a student, maybe an undergrad who doesn't really know what they want to do with their with their career. Uh, lots of good opportunities. Great networking opportunities, too. And, uh, you know, over the next next year or so, I think Blake and I are trying to get out of our comfort zone and go to some of these local meetups, too, that we're going to... Uh, we'll plug those on the show when we when we plan to go to some of them. So uh, keep, keep an ear out. We're going to start plugging some of these uh, Southern California events, um, you know, as well as the the national level ones as well and and maybe even global it's it's just a matter of like where you hear things right so like for us we're based here in san diego we hear things here in san diego um hfes is kind of at that national level brings us all together and then uh you know we don't really go to the global scale right now but, but you know hopefully someday um so uh, yeah, that that's something you don't see a whole lot of in our Slack channel is like drops for HFES in local areas. Um, so if if you're a part of the Slack or if you're a new listener and you join the Slack, feel free to drop in, you know, and put in the events channel links for HFES or meetup groups that are related to it, like yeah. human factors or ergonomics or UX in there, so you can like let people know because it it is pretty widespread. The people that listen to the show and the people that are in Slack, we got everything from. You know, here in California to Australia to spread out throughout the United States too. Yeah, we have uh, we have listeners all over, so you'll never know who you might hit uh, if you put one of those feelers out there. All right, uh, let's get into some banter, Blake. Uh, banter. Yeah. What, what's going on with you, man? So do you do you when you get in your car and you listen to podcasts tell me a little bit about how you do it i don't listen to podcasts no i'm just kidding uh <laughs> i know you do i can hear you pull up and you're just and yeah blasting it uh, so i guess <clears throat> my workflow would be visit my podcast app which i've mentioned several times on the show podcast addict for android users um i really like it because it gives me the flexibility with playback speed it gives me flexibility with playlists um, it's, it's great about some automation with like deleting the stuff and making sure like, 
you know, all my episodes are up to date and all that stuff. So I use Podcast Addict. So what I do is I open the app, I go to the playlist uh, section. So are you opening it from your phone or I does am. it interface with your car? No, I'm opening it from my phone. And this is before I even, like, so, like, as I walk out my door and as I go to my car, I will open up the playlist and it's kind of like force of habit now. I open the playlist and then I I look through all my available episodes and I do a kind of prioritization. I'm like, oh, I want to listen to that first because it's topical. I want to listen to this next because it's still kind of topical and I want to listen to these last because they're evergreen. Uh, and if I don't get to them this trip, then I'll get to them on another trip. And, uh, you know, something else topical will go up to the top of the list. So that's kind of how I, I do it. And I and as soon as I get in my car, my Bluetooth connects to my phone. As soon as my phone connects to uh, my car, I have some automation set up on my phone to automatically start playing the thing at the top of the playlist. Um, and that could either be a current episode that I'm listening to and have it start from that last part I listened to or, you know, uh, just pick up the newest episode that I just put at the top of my list. But I feel like you're hinting at something else here. What, what, what's your workflow? Yeah. So there, so for you, there's no like intermediary UI that you're interacting with. It's part of your car that it's like you're playing or you're stopping or fasting forward, any of that kind of stuff. You don't have to interface with it at all. I have a, I have a, pause play button but really for my purposes i don't my uh there's no like android play or anything like that i have android auto car, right that, yeah okay yeah that i but you don't use it at all i mean i i use android auto on my phone so got it yeah. that's interesting yeah because I, so I don't the, get android auto in my car because i don't have a fancy car like you blake that's what i'm getting at that's what i'm getting at so the i've noticed a lot of problems with kind of apple's auto version or it's what it calls carplay like in terms of the applications how they're built the wonkiness and the functionality that kind of stuff um which it doesn't make any sense because the application on the phone is seamless works really well built very nicely you don't really get confused in what you're looking for and so recently i had had an experience with the podcast app updated in the in the car and I'm pretty stoked. Like one thing that I find pretty dangerous and I shouldn't do, but I do anyway, is searching for different podcasts that I want to listen to while I'm, you know, Wait. stop the stoplight, whatever it may mm -hmm. be. And the way they've they've had it up until now was you basically have to scroll through a giant list of, you know, podcasts. And I listen to a lot of different ones and typically the one I'm looking for, it's at the bottom. But now they've kind of instituted a little shortcut that lets you search by directly tapping you know the first letter of the podcast name so typing in you know j will take me to the joe rogan experience right away that kind of stuff but what they've done is they've removed features in the app proper the like outside of the carplay app um, that now make it a little bit more confusing to loop things or to put playlists together that are related to just like apple podcast stuff so it was just one of those frustrating moments between where you fix one area of a ui's experience which in this case is kind of like a secondary use case for you know a product in apple's world of applications um, but then like in the main use case they've also changed that with completely missing the adaptation in the localized version so like changing you know i don't know settings that they're i guess gathering data on but just making changes that don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to an end of one anyway but that's what i was trying to get at have you ever had experiences where you see you know changes in one set of a ui 
which maybe maybe it's a mobile version of a desktop application that is completely different from what you're used to on like a desktop versus a mobile experience. Off the top of my head, I know I've seen something like that. I can't uh, articulate. I can't. I, I don't know. I can't remember when it was or where it was, but I've definitely had that experience. And it's frustrating. It's because you're anticipating it to work a certain way, and it doesn't. Um, and you know, it's not like I don't know if they're like trying to map different workflows. Like you have a different workflow when you're in your car versus when you're at your desk or something. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I don't really know. I wonder how a lot of like the basically the analytics that they gather every time you're using applications like this, both in the car versus the phone, how they're collected and really what what they do to kind of analyze them and make decisions about feature changes and that kind of stuff. Because that would be an interesting process to understand, like how it all kind of comes down to we make we're going to make this change here and then we're going to make a different change in the in like a different native application. Um, but it's just one of those things that I, f- I find more interesting than frustrating, but it's always funny f- funny to me when you see those weird discrepancies between two of the same, like, basically playing music right. and two very different experiences. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a funny, funny world where things don't work the way you want it to. And that's, Absolutely. that's why we're here. We're here to fix it. Absolutely. So, Nick, what have you been up to, man? Farts. Um, I... <laughs> Why do you have that in here? Is that because of the track I, didn't I sent you? I put that in here. Is that, the that was here before. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Um, I don't know. So I've uh, I've been up to a couple things. So um, I don't know. Do we want to talk about YouTube rabbit holes? I feel like I've... Well, yeah, we, we can talk what about... What YouTube it. rabbit hole have you do- dove down? <laughs> this is really weird for me. So, Blake, if, if I were to tell you that... I wouldn't um, believe it. Well, I mean, if you... You talk to me. You know me. Uh, am I, I do? am I a camping slash outdoors guy? No. Well, actually, so I don't really know because I mean we <laughs> podcast, but I don't actually know what you like to go and do. Oh, you besides that you like Star Wars no, and then we and, and and you know my hobbies too, which include like video games and going down YouTube rabbit holes. So no, I'm not really a camping slash outdoors person. I do go on hikes, right? That's that's like as most outdoors as I get. But camping, the idea of camping to me has always been why campy. Why like, and I promise there's going to be a turnaround on this. Why would you go out and do this thing where you are basically just out in? disconnected i guess i I don't know it it just didn't uh (laughs) so what what bothers you about camping do you not like the disconnected idea i don't know just the being outside in not in your you know normal home i think it's atmosphere i think it's the amount of work required to set up something that's just temporary uh outside of the house now let me let me get back to this so youtube rabbit holes i for whatever (laughs) reason the youtube algorithm gave me a YouTube uh, account that is... I've been watching a lot of like DIY stuff for this project that I'm doing that I mentioned, uh, what, not last week, but two weeks ago. Um, this is your battle station? Uh, no, this is the uh, the control panel for Star Wars. The, That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you say battle station, I think, I think work desk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, this is... Uh, this is yeah, anyway, so I was going down, 
I have a bunch of DIY videos that I've been watching. And one of them was, uh, it was like stealth camping in the back of a U-Haul. And I was like, huh. Stealth camping in the back of a U-Haul? Yeah. What does that even so mean? So this, this guy, uh, I think his name is Steve Willis. Or he's, he's camping with Steve. Um, camping with Steve? Hang on. Anyway, so he, uh, he rented this U-Haul. And uh, Steve Wallace, he he rented this U-Haul, and he basically drove around neighborhoods, and he's like, all right, so I'm looking for a place that's not going to be conspicuous, you know? So he's, like, looking for neighborhoods with homes on sale. He parks on a sidewalk in front of an empty lot, so that way it looks like, you know, it could be somebody moving in. He puts up black tarps all around the windows. It's, like, negative 40 outside. He has a space heater on the inside with lights and a camera. And he's like cooking food on the inside of a U-Haul, and I'm like, this is this is pretty cool. And so like I watched more of his <laughs> channel, and the more I watch this channel, the, like he's Canadian, and so he's just wholesome. He, this guy is wholesome, and like I love his videos. And I'm not a camping dude, but I've watched this guy camp in an igloo. I've watched this guy stealth camp like off a trail. I've watched this guy stealth camp in the middle of a city, like under a white tarp, like just you know. I've watched this guy. Uh, camp in the forest and put up electric fences and look at all his gear and want, look at all the food that he's cooking and I'm like, dude, I want to go camping now. <laughs> <laughs> You've been swindled into going camping. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I like, it's it's so weird because, like, you can find something enjoyable that, like, you never thought you'd want to do <laughs> and um, it just takes... Well, we should just, it just rent a U-Haul and we should go camping and do a podcast in the woods. Let's do oh, Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Podcasting in the back of U-Haul with Nick and Blake. <laughs> Bring all of our equipment and set it up and <laughs> just yeah, go. Just put the tarps up and it'll be fine. And, you know, so so I guess my point with all this is, like, it's it's just amazing to me how, like, if somebody's excitement and uh, love for something can go so far to get you interested in a thing and you don't even have to know them, right? Like this guy's excitement about camping and um, and he's not very like, he's kind of, uh, he's not very emotive. Um, oh, is like, he very kind of monotone? Yeah, he's kind of straight face. He, uh, he's very chill. And so, like, but you can still tell the dude is really excited about camping and he just really loves making these videos he literally films himself it reminds me a lot of survivor man right he'll film himself doing these walk away shots and you know as soon as as soon as he's walked away he stopped came back for the camera stopped recording and then like w basically after he sets up at night he edits half the video and then after he picks up in the morning he records more and then edits the other half of the video and uploads it and he does like a camping thing a week and i can't this this guy's youtube channel is awesome steve wallace w a l l i s if you're interested in what i'm talking about this guy uh he's if you're about camping in a u-haul this is the way to go <laughs> yeah so i mean like i don't know just youtube rabbit holes are fun yeah that's awesome now i'm probably going to find myself watching a bunch of steve <sighs> wallace God, dude, I, I, I'm going to send you the uh, the the stealth camping in a U-Haul. Actually, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to put it in the link below. Yeah, um, that's the one I'm looking for. Is the <laughs> camping in a U-Haul? I'll, I'll find it here. I'll, let me. Uh, yep, there it is. All right, I got. Uh, that's, 
That's kind of funny because you remember the where we had the studio before? Yes, I do. Like it was attached to that specific gym. Well, basically, if you went out at any given night and saw a, like a, a van or a sprinter van, that meant that there was people sleeping in that sprinter van. Like guys had, you know, 50 grand that had been stuffed into sprinter vans, like basically with kitchenettes and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and they were always just, you know, chilling out in the camper van waiting for the gym to open. Or going, you know, going hiking or whatever, and then coming back and just crashing there. Yeah. So anyway, uh, one one kind of follow up to that. I was, <laughs> so since I watched his YouTube videos, I still don't just subscribe, which I should. I need to subscribe to this guy because he's great. I was about to say you just like and rattled out about how awesome I know, he is. I know, and you guys need to subscribe wow. to us. So anyway, that's beside the point. But so one other thing. So his his like YouTube statuses start posting up in my feed, and I was looking the other day. There's an internal memo going around U-Haul that says this guy is uh you know is he's, he banned? He's basically banned. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's shattered the U-Haul name. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's he's great. Go check him out. He's got 232,000 subscribers, so he's not like a small YouTuber by any means. Um, he's got like 2 million views on this U-Haul stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never been so excited. This is going to Oh, be it's fun. such a good video. It's negative 35 degrees, and that's that's Celsius, I think. So um, so cold AF. Really cold in the back of a U-Haul. It's pretty great. Wow, dude. And he's banned from U-Haul. He's banned. My, he's, he's my hero. Yeah. So anyway, go check him out. Um, but I think think that that means it's time for yeah it's time for human factors news this is part of the show research all over the internet to bring you topics the uh the no that's the wrong intro what am i doing bring you topics everywhere is talking about because it's news it's news it can be anything from ar vr transportation stop laughing blake it happens to the best of us you're gonna mess up a million different words in these descriptions i promise you I just can't help it today. <laughs> We're on good ones today, folks. <laughs> We're in Flavortown now. <laughs> God. All right. <laughs> so, Blake, what do we, we need? To, we're just editing all this out. What, Blake, what do we have up first this week? Uh, this week, first up, we got NASA coming through with some VR and AR in astronomy and engineering. So one team at NASA has been assembling useful VR science and engineering applications with promising and yet unique results. So studying the astro- astronomical number of stars in our galaxy is generally done using legacy tools like scattered databases and perhaps even paper and pencil. That's hard to believe. And as such, it can be hard to use a great multi-purpose pattern recognition engine the human brain to the full effect for you know looking into this information nasa researchers have felt for years that vr and ar are valuable tools for exploring and working with large data sets of this type and teams have just presented a paper directly resulting from using these technologies applied to astrological data they've used a vr environment to examine an animated stellar neighborhood and arrived at a novel classification of a star group other astronomers have disagreed on up until this point So being able to intuitively observe the star's paths and position in multi-three-dimensional space provided key insights. So planetariums are just basically uploads of databases that you can get your hands on that you can take people through the cosmos. But now you can think about putting on a VR headset and be right there in the cosmos. So just as the heavy industry is, is learning and 
To incorporate VR and AR into their safety, maintenance, and even training routines, NASA is looking into it, its engineering and cross-site collaboration. So that's just part of this basic establishing of tools for view, viewing and manipulating astronomical, astronomical data. There's one. And in, this is probably my favorite part, and Nick, you were highlighting this a second ago. It looks like you can find some of this uh, work that they've done on GitHub itself looking for Point Cloud's VR tool. Um, and I'm sure we can find like the actual uh, yeah, tool I'll, on GitHub and post that as a link. Yeah, I'll post the link in the uh, description below. Uh, but Nick, this one was, I picked this one out of Slack because it was one that you posted in there, of course, and that you were stoked about it. So how awesome is it to see VR and AR being used at the NASA level? I like this a lot. I like this. You like this. We like this. I like <laughs> you. Li- I like it. You like it. We like it. We're, we, they like we're it. on good ones. Uh, so look, here's the thing. I don't know. Have you ever uh, remind me, Blake? Have you ever done um, Google Earth in VR? No, I haven't. I didn't know you could do that. It's uh, it's very interesting. So it gives you kind of a new perspective, especially like even on cities that you've grown up in or lived in. You can kind of basically you're like a giant in these cities, and you're kind of just you can walk through the town. Um, Oh wow! And so you're not like on Street View on you like can do that. you level. can do that, but you can scale yourself Whoa. up so that way your your camera is like uh, you know a uh, hundred miles in the sky or sure. uh, fifty miles or whatever it is, um, and you can scale your body so that way you know you can move around the environment, you can manipulate it, you can um, and that and that's what kind of this like uh, when they were discovering new different types of cl- or basically the behavior of this cluster uh, in VR that has been debated. This has provided them with a new perspective um, to analyze the contents of that cluster and to classify it. Uh, And I just, I love these tools. And, um, you know, like, where's the human factors? I think the human factors is the, the tool itself right here is actually providing novel ways to interpret data. And that is really really just the coolest thing because we can see data now in a different way um i don't know i i'm i'm struggling to say something new that i haven't said about vr and ar before i think the types of technology available the more and more times we see these types of examples out there in the real world as these uh I, i guess new ways of looking at existing things happen uh, the more these technologies are adopted and the more interesting things we can do with them. Well, I think it's pretty awesome that, because I'm poking around, of course, on the GitHub itself, and it looks like it's all very much open source software that's been you know, integrated into the C++ application for Windows itself. So it's awesome that there's so much that exists already that people can dig their hands into without having to you know, even have a VR headset, because it looks like a lot of the Point Clouds VR user manual is showing that you have almost like a inspect tool type thing that allows you to understand what the VR environment's going to be like without actually having a headset. Um, but I, I think like the, you've hit the nail on the head, right? It's more about not just the fact that it's an application of VR. It's another way to process data because in this case, it's allowed people to settle a disagreement or learn things from a different perspective about how something's go- going on in the astrological system. Um, and I'm hoping that this kind of stuff 
really just keeps going in NASA's hands because I feel like this application of VR may, you know, be able to be applied to traffic patterns, which could hopefully help us out with some of the UAS problems that we face in our country and then different countries as well. Modeling, you know, how those kind of uh, what do you call it? Flight paths look in VR and what they, how you could basically, you know, take information or data we collect all the time and apply it to different things, such as like, you know, basically think of an ATC that's using a VR headset to fly in the sky or to deal with managing traffic in the sky. Or to even show like predicted routes uh, as, you know, where the planes will be at specific times, playback functions. So that way they can see whether or not the directed path is going to intercept with another flight you know like that's some cool technology there fantastic yeah and i mean more and more we're dealing with more automated technology so being able to understand you know how do we communicate effectively you know changes that are happening in different like uas or uavs that are flying out there uh, as those become more and more prevalent in the system from you know the local police having them to you know the military until you know you maybe even amazon having drones flying around um, and then the ability just to, you know, take in and let people experience something like you would get at a planetarium. But I, I don't know how often like they do that in schools anymore, but maybe this is a way to bring it into the classroom or having kids like putting on VR headsets or like something like Google Cardboard where you could experience something like this. So, you know, mind bottling that you would never really have gotten to, you know, five to 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, so it, I, well, I just want to expand on that point. Like, Think about the last time you went to a planetarium. I think it was it was it's a it's a really cool guided show. You're all kind of uh, in the same perspective. You're looking up at a domed screen above you, and you have either um, you know it's either a video that they're talking through, and there's motion. Like the one I can last think of, I went to the uh, um, one of the Smithsonian's. I got it. <laughs> one of the Smithsonian. One of them. Uh, with the planetarium, they 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 uh, did the cosmos, and uh, it was it was really neat. But you know, I remember doing one in college, and it kind of blew my mind. I was like sitting there just looking up at the stars, and um, you know, to to kind of miniaturize that and give everyone almost a personalized uh, experience where they can get up, move around the topic, the, the subject of the of the. Uh, lecture or or you know presentation I think that is really cool and you know that individualized feedback can almost be uh, more salient in your memory when you go back and 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 think about it because you've lived that experience you were in the stars looking at that thing um, you know vice kind of and you remember controlling your body as you move around this thing instead of just looking at a screen, right? That's kind of the difference. Yeah, it's that personalized experience part that's very interesting to me. Like, that's why I was always excited about the concept of, like, AR, VR movies where you could, you know, basically walk around and experience something for yourself. And in this case, the same thing. And I feel like something like, you know, trying to understand how does quantum mechanics work? Well, a great way to try and explore that or get people more interested in it is creating VR experiences that simulate some of the concepts around quantum mechanics. Uh, but I don't know, man. I'm really glad you put this in here. I'm stoked to kind of try and even though I don't know very much C++ at all, I'm stoked to try and unlock or unwind what's in this points VR cloud GitHub and see what's going on in it. Because I don't know. I would love to play a little bit around 
more with like AR open source tools and definitely VR open source tools, even though I don't have a headset at the moment. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited for you to play around with it, too. Sweet. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get into the next story here? Let's go. All right. So color-changing bandages that detect and treat drug-resistant infections. So it sounds pretty dramatic, but antibiotic resistance is one of the biggest threats to global health. So according to the World Health Organization, it's urgent that we change the way that we prescribe and use antibiotics. So one approach might be to use bandages that sense and treat bacterial infections, even when the pathogen shows resistance. So there's a there is actually a paper-based color-changing bandage that a team's come up with as a creative start, where it starts out as green. So if a material is embedded in this bandage, it actually detects the type of environment, so maybe if it's acidic, and typically this is caused by bacterial infection. So the bandage would change its color to yellow and release an antibiotic that kills non-resistant or drug-sensitive bacteria. If the material in the bandage actually detects any enzymes that are produced by, you know, resistant microbes, the bandage will then turn red. So in that case, bandages release different types of antibiotics, and then researchers are able to shine light onto the wound. And this photodynamic therapy that is infused with the bandage is actually releases another drug uh, called a photosynthesizer and a particular wavelength of light, which causes this photosynthesizer to produce a form of oxygen that weakens bacteria and makes it more susceptible to antibiotic treatment. So the res- respective treatments of using this type of bandage and this light therapy, they do seem to work pretty well. And so if research can perfect how the bandages work, you could look, you could be looking at less treatment-resistant bacteria with a lower cost and better capability of, you know, doctors and nurses to monitor and treat wounds, even with drug-resistant bacteria floating around all over the place. So there's a lot to unpack in this article, Nick, but this was a great find on your part because this is one of those ever in the ever-changing world that we always talk about, you know, there's some new wearable technology or there's some new piece of, you know, autonomous tech that's come out or a new AI algorithm that's out there. This is something that I often forget and that that's our, our human biology or biology in general is always evolving and changing. And so we kind of have to stay ahead of that and change our game in some ways. And in this case, how we treat wounds. Yeah, this is cool. So let's let let's unpack this here. So essentially, you have a bandage that detects what's going on on the outside, what's going on on the inside and reacts accordingly. Right. That's at its base what it's doing. Yes, it's a paper bandage that shows you colors and helps you treat wounds. Right. So, uh, yeah, the the um, they're using uh, different drugs that are kind of uh, distributed with different wavelength wavelengths of light. Uh, from what I understand, this photodynamic therapy is so basically, uh, depending on what color it is, you shine a different light on it, and it'll release the appropriate drugs. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really neat to see these types of devices that just it's it's almost like a, a cure all, if you will, um, you know. And and they even mentioned that somewhere down the line they're even gonna like be able to sense different types of infections, like E. coli. Um, so I mean, it's it. I don't know. It's cool. I don't have a whole lot to say on this. Uh, we need a lease in here because she's the she's the medical. <laughs> yeah, she is like the resident medical one of of all, of the three of us for sure. It, it it again is pretty intense and interesting that they've taken basically a paper bandage and they've color coded it to re- and basically with with this different photodynamics that are attached to the bandage itself, 
it'll release you can then treat and release specific you know what whatever antibiotics that are inside of it so that's pretty in, pretty insane so but that makes me think that you're not gonna be able to really take this outside of a a hospital or somewhere where somebody's watching you for the interim because it sounds like it's very much in like a beta test if you will where they're still trying to figure out what do i how do we really release these different uh antibiotics depending on what the needs are um so yeah i mean i think it's a great way to start for sure and i could imagine this you know appearing out in the real world in you know five five ten years where it's Basically, the bandage is now kind of understanding that the environment that the wound is under. So then it would automatically release a type of, you know, antibiotic or whatever it may be uh, to kind of combat whatever the wound is. Or getting really, really crazy and out there, you could even communicate with your smartphone what is actually going on in the wound. Are you seeing, right. you know, infection, that kind of stuff. Here's here's one application that uh, that could be really topical here coronavirus right let's say this technology gets uh we're we're able to hone in on how to manufacture these in a way that is able to react right so if you're uh, maybe you know an outbreak like the coronavirus happens where you you know the um some of the uh relief stations are handing out these bandages that you basically wear on you and can detect this virus as soon as it becomes um, or as soon as you're like near someone who's infected or uh, even when you're infected. So that way you can go in, get it treated early. Um, you know, maybe maybe if they get fast enough with it, maybe they can even do it with certain strains of flu. So that way, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking about how if they turn around these things very quickly or if they figure out the key to turning around these indications very quickly, they're able to treat these things very quickly as well. Yeah. Cause I mean, you could imagine reducing the spread of basically an epidemic. If you have already like an outbreak of E. Coli as an example in, in a small area somewhere. And if you just hand out the bandages, like a happenstance thing for just the community that may be affected, then you have a higher chance in, possibility of at least treating a lot of or getting ahead of any kind of e coli breakout that could span from a couple hundred people to a bunch to a thousand people to a hundred thousand people all because you were able to identify early on like a basically a test case subject somebody who's actually infected with something and then using something like this that would allow you to catch the signs of it a lot earlier and not letting it get to like a deep stage infection yeah, I, I don't know, man. This is this is one of those things that gets you really excited about the medical field and now, like how technology is advancing in it, but also brings it back to the fact that there's a lot of like biomedical science going on. That I think the interplay between that and the human factors aspect of how technology is developed and implemented is really important in the world we live in. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I think we should take a break, and we'll be back to break down the rest of the news stories right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month 
and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. I just want to thank Blake for playing with his Fortnite Nerf gun uh, during the break. Uh, if you want to follow along with Blake playing with his Nerf gun, you can follow you him can on Slack. You can find us here. <laughs> you can, oh, yeah, you can follow me in Slack. You can follow me all over the place. No, thank you to all of our friends over at Engadget TechCrunch, the uh, European Global Navigation Satellite Systems Agency, and wise institute for all of our news stories this week if you want to follow along like i said you can follow us in slack uh we post those links to the original articles as we find them and you know what if you find something that's interesting to you and want to hear us talk about it you can also post that in there we don't talk about everything in the news stories feed but we do talk about a lot of it all right blake we have two more news stories coming up what do we have up next so keeping in line with the medical world, this takes a little bit of a different spin. So the Galileo Return Link Service, or RLS, allows people in distress to receive automatic acknowledgement that their distress signal has been received. And this was officially declared last month as it's fully operational in the EU last January. Or in late January. So the new functionality currently offered by Galileo enables a communication link that relays return link messages back to the originating beacon through the Galileo navigation signal in space. So the system permits the emergency services to locate people quickly in the case of an accident or when they call the emergency number without the need to explain where they are, often because it's often difficult or impossible when you're in a stressful situation or when the situation is dire. So following the launch of the RLS, the Galileo service definition documentation was uploaded, updated to include information about the new service, including details and characteristics of the service itself, its infrastructure and underpinning, and also the minimum performance levels of the system itself. So this is kind of important, seeing as it's going to be used as a not global, but very much a regional thing throughout Europe uh, to be basically helping in emergency response systems to make sure that your response is received. You know you're going to be okay. You're going to have help out to you. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. So watching Camping with Steve. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, okay. Uh, he needed help, but he didn't have this. I mean, imagine a situation where you are out and uh, vulnerable and alone, and you have no idea if anyone knows you are lost or anything. Just the comfort alone of knowing that help is on the way is immensely relieving. Like, it will be... Uh, I think this will go a long way, especially for search and res rescue. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just imagine myself in a situation like that, and I'm thankful that somebody is thinking about this stuff. And, uh, you know, it will ultimately reduce efforts in um, search and rescue um, parties, right? If, if if the person knows that help is on the way, like a lot of search and rescue find traces of the person and they, the person keeps moving. But if the person gets notified that everything's going to be all right, they'll stay put. And so you have less time spent looking for the individual, less time that the individual's out there alone. Uh, I love this. I just, I love the, everything about this. 
Do you it's like a it? great application of a navigation satellite for sure? And I, I'm so I'm like you. I'm glad that it's out there. I'm just surprised it has been done earlier and implemented at this kind of level because this is pretty serious. I mean, I don't truly understand the scale, but I mean, if this is something that's being implemented at like a an EU level where they're going to implement it in their emergency services kind of you know repertoire of things they can do that's pretty important and that must be sh- that must mean that the company itself has shown the technology to be really useful because i don't know about you nick i get so anxious or i have anxiety about like what if i did get in a car accident or something bad happened and i needed to call either call the police or call you know emergency services whatever it may be I'm not sure that I would always know where I am or how to describe to somebody in a way they're going to immediately understand and know exactly where I am. Because I'm, I'm one of those people that, that just kind of remembers turns and stuff like that. I don't right. necessarily know street signs, numbers, that kind of shit. So this is a great it's – a, it's a great thing for somebody like me who maybe wouldn't be able to describe where they are. But also for people that are maybe in a brand new area. Maybe you just moved or maybe you're in a different country. And so now something – Something out of the ordinary happens and you need help of some sort and being able to know that you don't really have to do anything more than say like, here's the basis of the situation and then you get the feedback that something's, somebody's coming to help you out. Um, so I think it's an awesome piece of tech for sure and I can only imagine it being a really great thing for the ecosystem of the emergency world. Yeah, so two points here. Um, have you used the share your location feature on your phone? I have not. So there's a feature on most devices that you can share your location with somebody else. I think it's a Google service thing. So if I were to share my location with you, Blake, you'd be able to click on that link and you'd be able to see where I am in live real time. Um, But I can see you right now. Yes, you can. But I'm going to share my location with you uh, via text and we're going to see, you know, you can you can uh, check it out on your own, but you can see my live location. Um, So. That's interesting enough, right? So if you can send your location through GPS somewhere, uh, I think that's very helpful for especially the situations you described, Blake, where I don't know where I'm at. Um, Is there some way that I can send you my location? There you go. Um, And I know there are several services on your phone, like Google, that is doing that automatically uh, to basically calculate things like traffic jams and all that stuff. I posted a interesting article in the Slack this week about how Google calculates the traffic jams. Either way, you can send your location. Point two is there's a um, there's AAA here in America, which is the Automobile Association of America, and they are an insurance company that when you are uh on on the road and you break down they give you you call them and you give them your location and they give you live updates like hey your person is going to be there in five minutes they are literally this far out and it would be great to like have a two-way conversation of how your location is shared with somebody else um and where they are in relation to you and i i find that really useful in fact Here's a here's a use case when um, my partner and I were at Disneyland one time. Uh, she had to run all the way back to the car because she forgot her ticket or something, and the lines were very long to even get into the park. And so the whole time, um, I was having her send me her location so that way I could monitor how close she was to me, uh, so that way I didn't go through the gate without her, 
and um, you know, I could start letting people pass me if I needed to. She didn't have to, but she she then could look at my location on the line to see where I was in line, so that way we could meet up with each other. So that's pretty awesome. Thinking about that technology linked to this search and rescue and emergency service type of thing, I find that so incredibly interesting and useful, and I'm so excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things, too, with the amount of people that have phones or Fitbits or anything that's transmitting off of them, that you should almost never be able to be lost, or that you have that you should have the ability to basically be pretty much okay in any situation you are because you're able to transmit the location. So in a lot of ways, I guess this kind of concept already exists. It's just putting it in a formalized surface that's now connected you know, to emergency services, police, that kind of stuff. We're so connecting, it's awesome. Connecting the world. All right. I got some bad One news, Blake. One Bluetooth at a time. You, what you what? have to leave here soon. You got like, I what? do. A couple minutes. So we are going to cut the fourth story for time. Sorry, everyone, if you were interested in that human body on chip, human uh, human body, human body on chip thing. So, uh, you know, if you want that full article, go check out our Slack. Uh, talk to us there about it. Happy to entertain you there. But we are going to switch gears and get to... It came from... It came from... That's right, it came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over the... <laughs> like going between two different personalities here. <laughs> yeah, I'm going nuts. Uh, He's completely different. Like this is the one time a week I get out away from uh, the kid where <laughs> it sounds bad. <laughs> this, I love my, my kid. One I love my kid so much. I really do. Um, this is not, this is like, this is me talking to other adults and it's weird. Anyway, uh, this is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. It's not just Reddit. It's emails. It's uh, Slack, it's Twitter, it's everywhere. If you reach us, we will take your thing as priority. We read every single thing that comes our way. Um, all right, I do want to talk about uh, this one post here from the UX subreddit. This is posted by user Alerise. Yes. Yes, I nailed it. That was, uh, yeah. All right, we're going to talk about user Alerise. They say, how does your idealized process compare to reality? With so many varying techniques and strategies to research, define uh, or for research, defining uh, iterations, etc., I'm curious how everyone's preferred processes compare to the reality of their actual process in terms of time, budget, and scope, etc. So, Blake, I'm going to throw this over to you. How do your ideal processes? Uh, compared to the things that actually happen in your work, throwing it over here. Okay, this is a, the reason <laughs> just I like fixed. just like the real world. I am throwing it over the fence, over the fence, and I'm catching it with grace. Oh man! So this, I got really excited when I saw this one because this is something I try to. Uh, for people that don't know, I teach a co or I am a mentor for a course through design design lab and i focus on helping people transition from whatever career they in they're in design or human factors or whatever it is related into like a career as a ux designer or ux researcher link below I, there you go link below uh, yep if you guys are excited or want to learn more about design in general we have a link for that but anyway one one thing that i always like to stress to students is what's really popular right now is this process called design thinking it's not completely different probably from what you've heard before of basically you know you you do the upfront research you idea what a product needs to be to inform based off the research that you've done 
you create something based off of the constraints of the business and technology and user needs, and then you test it after creation, and then you put it, you launch it, you test it again. It's basically a very much iterative design process. But you learn in school anyway, or through programs like Design Lab, you learn a very idealized version of it, right? So you you have all these options of how to do all how to do all the research steps. How do you actually build wireframes and come up with testable solutions? How do you actually test iterations of designs? And then you get to hand off stuff to a developer where you're still building in analytics and testing throughout the end of time. Now, as Nick may be able to tell you, and I can definitely tell you, that is not always a process that happens. And you typically have to be ready to pivot based off of, like is mentioned in this post, the time, the budget, and most certainly the scope of a project. The biggest ones being, how much time do you actually have and where are you following in the process? Let's say you're starting with a client who's already got an existing website and you need help redesigning a specific piece of it. Maybe their checkout flow is really terrible. You're going to only focus on that one piece, but you're not going to probably do a full-scale redesign of a website. You can run parts of the design thinking process if that's the process that you think you like and enjoy. And you would really focus in on, you know, what are the problems now? How do I focus my research phase on doing that and understanding that information? And then also, too, how do I test it with people? How do I get information from existing users? That kind of stuff. So the thing... I think really to walk away from here is is definitely focus on learning new processes and methodologies that come out, but be ready and highly ready just to pivot and use the pieces that you learn. You don't always have to run an end-to-end process because there's unlikely ever going to be time or budget to do everything that you're learning how to do. I don't know, Nick, what's your perspective on how your idealized versus reality process compares? Yeah, so in school, you learn these... Uh these processes, procedures for gathering user data or for design, for iteration, for all these different uh, techniques. And so, interestingly enough, something that's also taught in many programs is the ability to adapt and the ability to sort of work with what you got. And I think that's a lot of what our profession is. You know, like... Work with what you got. Work within your constraints. And there's always, always, always going to be compromises, right? I would say, in most cases, you can probably get around 80% of the thing that you're looking for uh, without any major pushback. But for one reason or another, somebody might, on the pro- on the project, uh, on whatever you're working on, might actually push back and say, well, we can't do X because of Y. And so... Um, you know, when, when these things don't align, then that's your job to then advocate, well, we need X because X will give us Y or it'll give us Z about the users. And we need Z about the users because that's really important to us. And so the more you can advocate for having full methodologies or full, um, the full Monty, if you will, uh, then you can, that's your job is to, is to kind of negotiate that thing with the pushback that others give you, right? You might be in a situation where the company doesn't even listen to you at all and, uh, they don't do user feedback at all. And so you have to start from zero. And so you have to keep pushing and say, Hey, can we gather this little nugget of data? It would give us this and kind of 
illustrate those return on return on investment uh, metrics that say if we just get this one thing, we can do this with it, uh, and then you show show the value of that, and then you keep pushing and get more and more and more. And so, um, at least for me, it's always been fortunate enough that I've been able to get like about eighty percent uh, at the minimum, where you know, in, in other places, I know it's it's not as easily con- it's it's harder to convince people. Absolutely, I mean that's part of the game too is knowing what your what your end goal is and really what it's going to take you to get there, and then understanding what the cli- or client person whoever you're working for what their current scope is, time and budget, and how you can reevaluate that if you need to. You have a toolbox. Are you going to use a hammer for this? Are you going to use a wrench for this? Um, you might need to use a wrench when hammering in a nail, but it still work. It's not ideal, but you need to advocate for the hammer. Absolutely. It's just one of those that you just have to continue to learn how to pick your tools and when's the right time to use them. And also just be ready to, if you feel like you're making a mistake or you need to change what you're doing, do it do it all right well blake i know you gotta run but that's gonna be it for today everyone let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week you can join the discussion on our slack or follow us on any of our social media channels at eight factors podcast if you want to send us an email directly you can send it to show at humanfactorscast.com if you like what you hear you want to support us you can always leave us a beer or you can, you can buy us a beer link down you can below leave us a beer leave us you a beer leave it for us <laughs> You can leave leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about Camping with Steve? (laughs) If you guys want to talk about Camping with Steve, I would really love to talk about Camping with Steve with some slackers. So if you join the Human Factors Cast Slack, you can always reach me there, even if you're not a Patreon subscriber. And if you just want to find me anywhere across the web, you can find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. Slack is probably the best place to reach me, too. But if you want to reach me across social media, I'm at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.